0: This podcast is brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. Thanks for listening.
1: Okay, in preparation to hear God's word that we preached to us by Pastor Andrew, I'll be reading a passage from Ephesians 2, verse 1 to 10. Please take the opportunity right now to take up your mobile phone or your app, or even your Bible itself. For the rest of you, um, feel free to refer to the section here up front. Ephesians chapter two. As for you, the, is the efficient Christians, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live, when you followed the ways of this world. And of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit which now at work. Those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh, and following its desires and thoughts. And like the rest, were by nature, deserving of wrath. But. but might show the incomparable riches of his grace, expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourself. It is the gift of God. Not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork. Created in Christ Jesus to works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. This is gospel.
0: Okay. Uh, Good morning, everyone. Great to see all of you here today. And uh, it's really good that uh, there are so many of us who have come to hear this really majestic passage, Ephesians chapter two, verse one to ten. And for those of you who are at home, I pray that uh, truly God will be speaking to our hearts today. Let's go to God in prayer. If Father, as we come before you this morning, indeed, your words may not truly be able to convey to us the eternal truths of your grace, Christ, and the blessings and privileges that you've given us. But so we pray that as we reflect on your words this morning, that you will allow us to grasp at least a measure of the truths, of what you've done for us. We pray for all these things in Jesus Christ. Amen. When you read the newspaper, often you come to these uh, stories, like the lifestyle stories, I, I you know, kind of characterize it. It's like the before and the after story. You know, have you seen those stories before? So, you know, before you, know, you have someone who's dealing with maybe some health issue, they have uh, diabetes, they have heart problems, they're struggling with some ailments. And then there's the after story, you know, you see those sort of stories, or maybe there's someone who is dealing with financial problems. You know, they are up to their neck with debt. They are being chased by debt collectors. They have credit cards, like, you know, eight of them. And then there's the after story where, you know, they are debt-free, they're financially independent, and, uh, you know, now they are saving and they're no longer chased by the debt collectors. You have other before and after stories where, Probably someone has an addiction problem, or perhaps they are addicted to some sort of drug and then it's taken them down the wrong path, and then they go to jail or, you know, they're struggling somewhere. Then there's the after story. And there are many other stories like that that you read in the newspaper. People with uh, mental health issues who then find themselves in a good place, people with marriage problems. Now, today we are looking at a before and an after story, and it it basically is not just an isolated thing which you know only some people have, or maybe a certain segment of society struggles with. But as we look at today's passage, it is a before picture which is relevant to all of us because all of us are in this before picture, where right? all of us find ourselves in this before picture. And so let's look at today's passage. Today's passage begins by saying to us, and telling us exactly what this before picture is. And it says, As for you, you were, it says there, dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature, following desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. So the first thing that we want to pay attention to is the reality that it says that you were dead. You were dead. You were dead. Why? Because you lived in transgressions and sins. You were also disobedient. And so this is the before picture which encompasses all of humanity. All of us at one time lived in this way and we were dead. Dead. And in this before picture, we were not just, you know, maybe dead in the grave, but we were spiritually dead before God. And because we were spiritually dead before God, we were in the, on the way towards we were reaching the definition of dead in its full reality. So in a sense, we were all in God's eyes like the walking dead. Now, we were dead because it says there, we were living in transgressions and sins, and we were disobedient. Uh, the idea here is that we were walking, says that we were walking, right? In terms of the word living here is the idea of orienting ourselves and our thoughts, our words, our deeds against God and against His holy nature, against what God wants us to do. And I think that uh, it's very helpful because whenever I have problems trying to define things, I always get, go to my wife, who uh, works and and serves the children in the children's ministry. And uh, I find that they always have really good definitions in the children's ministry. So how do you define sin? Okay, So the way that they define sin for the children is sin meaning as to shove off God, I am in charge, and no to your rules. So we were all dead because we were living in sin and transgression and disobedience. We were telling God to shove off Saying that we are in charge and we are saying no to God according to his rules. And because of that, it says that we were all dead. Okay, so the first thing is in this before picture is that we are all dead, dead before God, spiritually dead, but in its full reality, we will be dead in its complete sense. Now, the reason why we are dead is because it says in at the end there in verse 3. We were by nature objects of wrath. We were by nature objects of wrath. Now, I want to focus on this word here, uh, wrath. It's interesting, right? If we pay attention to this uh, short description, just for a moment, we would actually usually say we were objects of uh, judgment or objects of punishment or objects of penalty. Because, you know, when you break the law, then you are subject to punishment from the law, right? You know, you break the law, you're subject to the judge saying you're wrong or you know, some rule that you've broken. There's some punishment, you're object of punishment. But notice that the Bible doesn't use that phrase. He says, we were by nature objects of wrath. Now, what is wrath? Why are we objects of wrath? The definition of wrath is the idea of extreme anger, intense anger, strong anger that often leads to punishment for an offense of a crime. And what it's really saying here in this passage is God uh, is intensely involved in His punishment against sin and transgression. Because God in Himself is holy And because he is holy and he faces unholiness, he personally is aroused in his wrath, in his anger, in his uh, uh, intense emotion to punish that crime. And therefore, this picture is one of something which is much greater that we need to fear than just an object of punishment. To be an object of wrath is to actually face the punishment of God himself. And if you remember in chapter 1, God is described as the creator God. God is described as the God who was there before creation even began. God is the God who controls all things. And so to be the object of wrath of this divine creator eternal being is something to be feared. Because, you know, obviously, if you're a student and you face the wrath of your principal, that's something to be scared of. If you are an employee and you face the wrath of your boss, that's something to be scared of too, isn't it? If you are someone who faces the wrath of the judge, that is something to be fearful of. Imagine being uh, under the judgment, the intense anger of God who wishes to punish you righteously because of His holiness, then that is something that we do not want to be in. And this is the before picture, right? We were dead and we were by very nature objects of wrath. But that's not where all our problems end. Because in this passage, it describes our situation in this way. We were dead in our, your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air. And the spirit who is not at work in those who are disobedient, all of us also lived among that one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. And so here we actually see that there are three. Okay, one, two, three. It appears that there are three forces which are powerfully at work powerfully moving and and pushing us to live in this disobedient, sinful, transgressing way. We follow the ways of the world, it says. The environment that we live in is shaping us and persuading us and moving us to living in a way which says to God, I am in charge, shove off But it's not just the environment that we live in, but there is a spiritual demonic force which is also at work in us, which is leading us towards disobedience. I know that we live in a naturalistic, materialist, secular world which has no place for this, but the Bible says very clearly that there is a spiritual demonic force in this world which is leading us to live in this way. But if that was not bad enough, even our flesh, our sinful nature, has cravings and desires and thoughts, which again are, living us, are leading us to live in opposition to the way that God wants us to live. Now, it would be hard enough to break free of one out of the three, right? But the picture that the Bible presents to us here is that these three forces together are this irresistible force in which we are trapped and enslaved and we can't break free of them. The world we live in, the demonic presence that is influencing us, and also our very own sinful desire, which has these uh, cravings and desires and thoughts that we cannot deny. And so when you actually look at this passage, we are in a helpless and hopeless position. We are trapped and enslaved in the world that we live in. And that's why, oops, when you look at some of the translations like the English uh, ESV translation, it actually translates it I think more accurately and says that we are sons of disobedient. We are children of wrath. Because just as much as you cannot change your skin color, you cannot change your family background. So in a sense, we belong in this family of disobedience, this family of a uh, nature subject to God's wrath. And so in the world's eyes, we think that, you know, the Abeng who walks the street at night at Geilang, this is the person who deserves God's wrath. Or maybe we think, uh, you know, it's the, it's the prostitute who walks uh, you know, late at night at Juche and Geylang, that's the person who uh, is going to face God's judgment. But this passage makes very clear to all of us that all of us, all of us, right, without any exclusion, without any reservation, all of us here are children of wrath, sons and daughters of disobedience, and all of us will die, and all of us will face God's wrath. God's eyes, we are all the same. We don't need to be the person who's uh, the criminal and gay lang. We, we, By being our very person, we are today sitting here without God, without Jesus, without grace. We are all in the same boat. We are in the before picture. And so as we come to this first section, it's trying to show us the before picture, how bad things really are. And if we take a moment just to consider it, this is much, much worse then drug addiction, then diabetes, then a heart problem, then hypertension and high blood pressure, then cancer, then having a bad marriage. This is the worst, right? Because this is God who is angry with us for eternity. Thank God then that we can move on to the next verse. Because in verse 4, it goes on to say, but because of His great love for us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ Even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. So this begins with a very big but here, okay? But, because of His great love, God acts for us. So if you look back to verse 1 to 3, the main subject of verse 1 to 3 is you, right? You were dead. By very nature, you were an object of loss. We were enslaved. We were helpless, we were hopeless. But in verse 4, there's good news because, but God Himself comes to do what we could not do for ourselves. You know, we were trapped, we were helpless. But God intervenes in our state of helplessness, God intervenes in our dead state, God intervenes in our wrath problem. And what does He do? He comes to save us, He acts. For us, now, why does he do that? So in verse four here, it points out the why. Why does God bother, right, to do that? He says because of his great love for us, his riches of mercy, and also, most of all, by grace. So this word here, grace, is repeated quite a few times in this passage. In this passage, it is such an important word for us to understand because it is what moves and motivates God to act on our behalf so what is this word grace which causes God to act for us well oops uh, if you look in the in the a uh, uh, few definitions grace is something which is undeserved unmerited unearned favor okay uh, grace is the very opposite of merit. God, grace is not just only undeserved favor, it is a favor shown to the one who deserves the very opposite. Okay, so you grace is where you deserve something, but I not just don't give you that something you deserve, but I give you something the opposite, something good which you deserve. Uh, grace is unconditionable, uh, sorry, unconditional acceptance given to an undeserving person by an unobligated giver. Okay, so God doesn't have to give us grace. God gives grace to somebody who is undeserving. And there's nothing that obligates God to give us grace. And so when you think of it, uh, I remember someone said something very funny in my uh, Bible study. I have, a, I have a few comedians in my Bible study. So yeah, they, they, they gave me uh, a lot of material for my sermons on Sunday. So someone said, you know what the opposite of grace is? Meritocracy, right? So meritocracy is where you know you 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 get what you deserve. You know, it's, you get your merit, you, you work hard, you get this, you get what you deserve. That's what meritocracy is, right? But here, if we were to get what we deserve, we would actually deserve wrath. We would deserve punishment, we would deserve eternal condemnation. But God gives us what we don't deserve, He gives us Something that we 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 should not be getting, and it's out of his love and his kindness. And so I've been um, getting uh, pet dogs for a few years, and usually I always go and pick them up from the the dog rescue pound. And so if you ever go to the dog rescue pound, it's like full of dogs, right? It's it's amazing. It's like this hall here, times. Maybe full of dogs, okay? And so when you choose dogs, how do you choose a dog? So usually you go to the cage, look at the poor dog, then you know you you look for the dog who is hopefully looks good, looks good, you know, adorable, friendly, not threatening to you. Obviously, if you go to the, the dog cage and then the dog starts growling at you, barking at you, acting really aggressive to you, that's not the dog you want, right? And especially dogs who bite humans, uh, they always put them down the pound. Well, I think in the same way, we are like that, you know, we are like feral dogs to God. We are, you know, when God saved us, we were like growling and barking and snapping at God. We were in a sense like what the definition of sin is, right? We were rejecting God at that stage. We were deep in sin at that stage. We were dead to God in that stage. But yet, God gives us what we don't deserve while we were in that state. He decides at that stage to come to help us. And this is so important for us to really grasp in our mind, right? Because it is by grace we have been saved, and it is not by works, okay? Not by works. There's a huge contrast here between grace and works in this passage. And that's true because we always think that somehow religion saves. You know, by good things we save, we give money, we do good works. But if you are dead in your transgressions, if you are already an object of wrath, no matter what good things you do, you cannot save yourself. Imagine for a moment you are in Changi prison You have been condemned by the judge for murder and you are awaiting death by hanging. You cannot save yourself by doing good works. You can be nice to the warden. You can be nice to your fellow inmates. You can scrub the floor. You can share your food. But you are still condemned to be dead because you are already condemned. There is no way you can save yourself. And that's exactly the situation that we find ourselves in in the before situation, it is foolish to think that we can save ourselves through good works or religion, because we are already dead. We are already condemned. Doing good works doesn't do any good for people who are already dead in transgressions and sin, who are already by nature objects of wrath. It is only from God's grace that that we can overturn this terrible situation. And what then? does God do for us? Well, oh, sorry, I forgot to show you the other picture. Yeah, So, we cannot save ourselves because good works, religion, money, morality, they, they cannot bridge the gap to salvation. cannot bridge the gap to being saved and having life. And so, what does God do for us in His grace? Well, the passage goes on and says, verse 6, and God raised us up with Christ, oh sorry, no 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 okay, must start earlier, sorry, verse five okay. God made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by safe faith by grace, sorry, you have been saved, and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. so God here does four very distinct and separate things for us. Each of them in themselves remarkable and miraculous and just really awesome, amazing. We were dead. God made us alive. We were by very nature objects of wrath. We are now saved. But God goes beyond that. God raised us up with Jesus, resurrected us together with Jesus and beyond that He has now raised us up and seated us with Jesus in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. What does this mean? This means that God has given us certain victory and power over the world, the demonic spiritual forces, even even ourselves, right? So God here has gone, can you see the power of God's grace? He's gone just beyond our situation and given us the, like overwhelming blessings. We are alive, we are saved, we are raised up, resurrected. We are now seated with Jesus in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Now I wonder whether we ever reflect on how much God actually gives us in Jesus. Right? We just think, okay, you know, Jesus saves, that's fine. But it's only when we realize how far we were before to the after picture that we see how far God has brought us into a good position, a good state. Now, all these things here can only happen because of Jesus Christ alone. It says here, we were made alive with Christ. It is by grace you have been saved by And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with Him in the heavenly realms. In Christ Jesus. He expressed to us in order that in the coming ages He might show the incomparable riches of His grace. Expressed in His kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourself. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us. So you see that this has this repeated, you know, theme of being with Jesus, in Jesus, in Jesus, with Jesus, over and over again. And this shows us that we are really only saved because. We are in unity. We are united with Christ. We are in communion with Christ. We are in the sphere of Christ. Nothing can be achieved outside of Jesus Christ. See, outside of Jesus Christ, there is no grace. Outside of Jesus Christ, there is no salvation. Outside of Jesus Christ, there is no life and there is no victory over the world, the demonic forces. Because outside of Jesus Christ, you cannot, the dead person cannot raise themselves, right? It's impossible. The dead have no strength. And outside of Jesus, we we cannot save ourselves. Because we, we cannot work towards our salvation. Everything must be found in Jesus alone. And so if you look at the, the summary verse I have, sorry, the slide that I have, huh? Okay. You'll see that only way that we move from the before situation to the after situation, it is by grace alone, yes, by grace alone we are made alive, we are saved, we are raised up and seated with Jesus Christ. But also, this grace is only found to us in Jesus Christ. You see, so if you look at some of the diagrams that you can see on the internet, Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8 to 9 is The key verse which says that salvation is only found in Jesus. Because without Jesus, we cannot move from here, from man to God, ourselves. And so as we see what God has done, everything finds its fulfillment in Christ alone, nowhere else. Now this is so important for us to keep remembering. Because we, we we think, is there another way? You know, Can we perhaps find another way to find grace outside of Jesus? And there is no way. That's the very reason why in this passage, the phrase in Christ, with Christ, keeps being repeated over and over again, so that it will get into our thick minds. Because somehow our ego and our pride thinks that, okay, maybe I need to contribute 1% of my salvation. Or I need to do something, but actually, God has done everything for us already. Now, if salvation comes by grace alone in Christ alone, then our response must be faith. Our response must be faith. You see, if everything is done by grace alone, undeserved, unmerited favor in Christ alone, that means. My only response can be faith because I add nothing to my salvation. I can only receive, as it says here, the gift of God. I can only receive this gift that God gives me. And that's what happens, isn't it? If uh, if someone were to give you a present, you open up your hands and you receive that present. You cannot say, hey, you know, uh, you gave me this present, but uh, I contributed of it, right? The present was wholly given by the person who gave you that present. You didn't contribute anything to it. And here God gives us the greatest of all presents. And through faith, through trust, we open up our hands and we receive that present of life, of salvation, of resurrection, of being lifted up into heaven. It is a gift. And we do nothing to contribute to any of that. And so by by open hands through faith and trust, we receive it. Now, I want to consider for a moment the nature of faith. So when you came in this morning, you sat in those chairs that you are sitting in right now, right? Why did you sit down in those chairs? You have faith that the chair will hold you up, but what holds you up is not your faith in the chair, it is the chair that holds you up. If I were to invite you on the stage and say, Okay, look, imagine there's this invisible chair here, really believe that this chair, this invisible chair, will hold you up. And you try to sit down, would you be able to sit down? No, right? Because there is no chair there. Faith in something which is not real does not work. It is not your faith which holds you up, but it is the chair that holds you up. And so in the same way, we believe in the reality of what God, through His grace, has done for us in Jesus Christ, and we put our faith in it, knowing that it is real. But what holds us up is not our faith, it is the power of God, it is the grace of God in Jesus Christ. And so as we come to the end of this passage, What have we learned so far? Okay, so we've learned uh, fundamentally that it is by grace that we have been saved. This is God's gift and our response must be one of faith. And so, here as we look at this very, very important and deep profound passage, moving from this before to this after situation, it is by grace alone It is in Christ alone, and it's through faith alone. And so we've learned over the last few weeks from the book of Ephesians is chapter 1, this is the reality of what God has done to know God better. But I think in chapter 2, it focuses a lot more in terms of the particulars of what God has done for God's people and how we need to respond. So if salvation is grace alone in Christ alone through faith alone, then this is the way that we need to come into this after situation. So if you're here today, I have uh, two conclusions that I want to, two applications that I want to apply to this passage. Uh, the first is if you're not a Christian, if you're a non-believer, if you are sitting on the fence, I began by saying in today's sermon that we all have this before and after situation. And the before situation, as we see in the newspaper, is always a terrible place, right? You know, maybe a blood problems, heart problems, health problems, financial problems, addiction problems, financial problems, relationship problems. But here in the Bible, it tells us very, very strongly that we are even in a more terrible situation If you are in this before situation, I would like you to consider just how bad your before situation really is. You are in a situation where you are dead in your sins and transgressions, and you will be fully dead in its fullest sense for the whole of eternity if you remain in this before situation. You are by very nature objects of God's wrath, and if you stay in this situation, you will face God's wrath for eternity. You are enslaved by this world, its demonic forces, and by the very power of your flesh. This is the situation that you find yourself in, in the before situation. But the good news is, God is inviting you to move to the after situation. And the even better good news is that, actually, you know, in all the before and after situations, when you read about in the newspaper, you are the one who else has to do the work, right? So if you're overweight, you've got diabetes, you've got a heart problem, you know, maybe you've got to stop smoking. And that's hard to do, right? You've got to give up smoking. You've got to start exercising. You've got to start controlling your diet. No more burgers every day and no, no more char kway teow all the time. That's hard to do, right? A lot of people struggle to do that. You've got to take all your medicines. You've got to cut up all your credit cards. You have got to do innumerable things to do to move from the before to the after situation. It always is remarkable to me. You know, you see these people sometimes they're really overweight. The next minute you see the picture, and here they are, some triathlete, right? They're ripped, you know, six-pack shape, you know, like V shape. And you think, wow, they must have put in a lot of work to get there. But here in this passage, God tells us to move from the before situation, the dead, rough, enslaved before situation to the after situation, God does all the work. God has already done the work. He's already sent Jesus to do the work for us. It is by grace alone and Christ alone that you move from the before to the after situation. And this is a gift of God. That's what God has said. This is a gift to us. And so, imagine if I were to come to you and I say, you know, hey, I have this Ferrari I want to give you, and I have these keys and the registration. I'm just going to give it to you, right? I'm going to give you this Ferrari. Or maybe I tell you, hey, you know, there's this new flat uh, and a condo. I want to give it to you too. Or maybe I give you something less, like i give you a staycation at the Raffles Hotel. All of us, I think all of us, right? Nobody will say no, right? I give you a Ferrari, anybody want to say no? or a condo, or a staycation raffle, all of us will say yes, right? It's a free gift. Why would you reject it, right? I here, God has given us an infinitely more valuable gift. Why would you want to say no? Would you not want to open up your hands and say, in faith, I receive your gift? Because all of these things, right? The Ferrari, the condo, and the raffles, these are like peanuts, right? Peanut shells compared to what God is giving you in this situation. For us as Christians, I think the temptation that we face is that after we're Christians for a little while, we, 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 we do not value God's grace anymore. Uh, we start to think of ourselves as pretty good, respectable people. We're religious people. And somehow we get into our minds that uh, we're good enough that we deserve that God should save us. And so we start down this slippery slope where we move away from the grace of God towards trusting in our good works, in ourselves, that we are somehow good enough to save ourselves. We forgot the before situation. You know, we've been out of the before situation for so long, we think actually we're not that bad after all, right? That actually we were pretty deserving of salvation and, and uh, resurrection and glorification. We must never move away from grace. We must never feel that we contribute to our salvation. We must never feel that somehow Christ is not all there is, that we ourselves do something. We trust in ourselves more than we trust in grace and Christ alone. And so Martin Luther, uh, he was the person who started the Reformation. He said we should die relying on grace alone. He also said, faith is a living, daring confidence in God's grace. So sure and certain that a man could stake his life on it a thousand times. And that's true, isn't it? Grace is, the grace of God is so powerful that we can trust God and we could stake our life on God's grace a thousand times. Uh, John Newton very famous uh, person wrote Amazing Grace. He also said, uh, Although my memory is fading, I remember two things clearly I'm a great sinner, and Christ is a great savior. Then uh, John Bunyan, who wrote The Pilgrim's Progress, his autobiographical book was Grace Abounding to the Chief of Sinners. And so we must never lose the wonder of God's grace. We must never lose the privilege it is of receiving God's grace. And I pray for all of us here that we will always realize that we are saved by grace alone, in Christ alone, through faith alone. I'd like you to spend some time uh, talking among yourselves uh, about uh, the reflection question for today, both on the Zoom breakout rooms as well as here, just on your small groups for a few moments. Okay, uh, just chat among yourselves, and then we'll begin again when Andrew Leong comes up to start the service again. So chat among yourselves these two questions. If I were to die right now, would I be saved and go to heaven? Why? Why should I be confident of my salvation? I'll just end with the benediction. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all now and forevermore. Dear Father, we really want to thank you for your grace towards us, for we were undeserving, we were dead in our sins and transgressions, we were by very nature children of wrath. Dear Father, we pray that we may know the magnitude of your grace, the distance that you have brought us from the before picture to the after. Dear Father, we pray that we may know that this can only be achieved in Jesus Christ, with Jesus Christ, through Jesus. We pray that everyone here will always have faith in your grace through Jesus and that all of us will be this wonderful new workmanship, this new creation. And We pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at bcpc.sg.